to another episode of the Houdat Jedi Podcast. This is episode 148. I am Aaron, and with me as always is Dave and Fredo. How you doing, guys? Hello, hello. Doing well. I have big news to share to start off with. So okay. after after work, um, I I did my normal thing where I take the dogs out back and clean up the backyard a little bit. Um, and, uh, then, and then when I fed the dogs and I sat down to play Donkey Kong and then <laughs> Nintendo switch. And I commenced into having the best Donkey Kong game I have ever had. I scored 79,000 points. Now for some people, that's not a lot, but for me, that was the highest of high scores that I've ever had. Um, so I was feeling, I got to, I got to conveyor belts twice. I was feeling pretty pumped. And so I, after that game, I turned off the switch and I was like, I'm, I'm done for the evening. So, um, but I've been actually, it's funny cause I actually started watching some YouTube videos of like the people who have the world record in points for Donkey Kong. And so I got a lot of, you know, point hoarding, uh, techniques and so like well i'll be darned but uh so i was like a 14 year old kid watching minecraft videos on youtube but it was donkey kong so and i'm 50 but uh 79,000. so hey that's i'm happy with that look out billy mitchell <laughs> yeah. i was about to say congratulations and that's a good point to uh recommend king of kong which if you've never seen is awesome it's a oh, yeah. really great documentary can't can't recommend enough yeah, but those top level donkey kong competitors and how shady and difficult that world can be i gotta tell you it the, uh, so first of all it was like my 40th birthday somewhere around there we went to we were is when we lived in nebraska and we went to we would go to estes park and stay at the stanley hotel where um uh stephen king got the inspiration for the shining um but anyway we went into denver and a friend of ours took the us shining? to uh, took us to this bar called one up and it's imagine miss Mays with eighties video games and pinball that, I mean, and, and, and with food. So it was, it was like, and so it looked like miss Mays, but they had better beer cause they had like craft beer cause it's Denver. And then like I said, eighties video games. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like, and I remember saying, I'm 40 years old. And if I want to play $10 worth of Donkey Kong, nobody's going to stop me. But here I am playing Donkey Kong and got a beer. And I had the weirdest moment because I stopped. And I was like, I looked at the beer and I was like, I'm going to get in trouble. And I was like, wait a minute. I'm, I'm not 12. Not that I was drinking beer at 12. I wasn't. But I mean, the sounds... And playing Donkey Kong, I was like, I felt like I was 12 years old and I looked down and I had a beer and I was like, oh crap, I'm going to get in trouble. It was the weirdest moment I've had in a long time. So anyway. There is some, there is something to those, the sounds of old arcades or arcades where you have a lot of old games because those sounds, the, the sounds coming out of machines like Donkey Kong or Space Invaders, Pac-Man, or yeah. Tron, Pac-Man, yeah, like, like you will hear those restart screens and <laughs> the senior citizen retirement home because they're going to be ingrained in there. It's, it's always hilarious. Uh, when I take my nephew in Houston, I take my nephew to a place called Cidercade and they have the newest games and then they have the old games and it's the old games that everybody gravitates to just because it's like, you know, there's something to being back there and playing you know, Donkey Kong nonstop. Yeah. They marketed them that way you know they designed these bright crazy cabinets and with these loud sounds and it's like yeah they had to stand out above the other machines well, and get people to play them and um i know i know exactly what you mean like there's there's something really nostalgic about that even if you weren't there um the last of us recently had an episode where they yes. were in an old abandoned mall which had an arc a functioning arcade in there and it was just like Oh, this is this is rude. I still, I, I mean, I and I haven't been to the new place on Saint Claude. Have either of you guys been to that that new? Uh, no idea. I, I want to go, um, but um, I, I, I just think that's a winner. Of I mean, it's the sad thing. Barcadia in town could be that place, but it's so not. You know, I mean, yeah. 
but that kind of bar would just make I'm, I'm, so it sounds sad but it's like you get the four of us and you give us a place that has good craft beer and 80s video games and we have expendable yeah. income we're not we're not leaving you know what i mean <laughs> it's not like i have my you know five dollar allowance from mom it's like you know i just got paid you know <laughs> so um but anyway uh, i digress so yes i was very proud so if the guys from nerd cave retro are listening it may have been not not be much to you but to me it's awesome um so um tonight we are going to talk holy cow did lucasfilm put out two good episodes of things this yeah. week um first of all mandalorian season two uh episode or season three episode two which was great and then bad batch whatever number episode it is but it was called outpost and holy crap was that the best bad batch episode i think we've had i i, I don't know if that's hyperbole to you guys but i was like i i watched it and i was like this is better than I was more pumped about it than I was about Mandalorian season three, episode two. So, but we'll talk about that. So I, I said that it was the payoff to people who have been patiently sticking with it. That's like, like here's your reward. Right. Yes. Um, and it very mm -hmm. much felt like that. Um, yeah, that's slight hyperbole because like, again, I, I enjoy the show, but like that was really good. I want to say this. I don't think it's a coincidence that we got the news dump that we did on a week of stellar television for Star Wars as a little spoiler for our news segment coming up. Well, there we go. We'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. Um, I also don't think that it is, uh, it, it might just be a coincidence, but I don't think it's a coincidence that on International Women's Day, we have an episode of The Mandalorian that shows one of the toughest female characters in star wars just whomping and a whooping um bo-katan i'm a fan uh, yes i did mean to rhyme all right so let's do a, a little bit of trivia to get us started though um so all right fredo i'm gonna go with you first and i have to hold the card way out far because i don't have my glasses on uh, what language is spoken by fody the red-tinted head of the pod race announcer. You know what? And I'm for, just and for bonus points, can you name the um, Greg Proops uh, side of the of the body? Um, I don't think I can right now, but anyway. For for bonus points, no. And uh, I'm just going to say Esperanto because I have no idea. Well, I think there's there's an obvious answer. What's the only other language that we hear in Star Wars? Hatties. It is Hatties. Oh, you know what? Oh, I tricked you. That's okay. I, I have did. to give you another question because I didn't realize this was the Bra the Greg Proops uh, side of the body. So um, the Greg Proops side of the body say, uh, speaks Galactic Basic. So I'm going to give yeah, you a I different was question. Say basic. I, I I hosed yeah, you. I hosed you on that oh, one. So, so wait, what was the language of what was the language of the other head? Well, it was Hatties, but so uh, oh, okay. I'm I'm gonna give you a different one. All right, so okay. how many claws does the Rancor have on each of its hands? Three. Oh no, I missed one. Oh, foe! It foe. What's well, a really big one? If this was a video podcast, this would be awesome right now. Um, yeah. so <laughs> I have my Rancor uh, action figure, and it is four. And so yep. I'm still going to give you points because I hosed you on the first question. So, all right. I appreciate that. Dave, what member of the Jedi Council is piloting a fighter when he's shot down by his clone troopers? Hello, clone. Who some people said was alive, and that's actually what uh, Dave Filoni was saying in that uh, episode with uh, Luke Skywalker at the end of season two. Um, they were in the script; it said Plo Koon, and everybody was like wigging out. So yes, it was Plo Koon. And to me, who does the battle droid commander Um Nine report to once his troops are in position to search for the underwater villages? 
That would be Newt Gunray. Yes, Newt Gunray. I am correct. My apologies to Fredo. You should, All good. You All should, good. You should be treated better. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, so we got some news. And um, in this new segment that we call Aaron is Right. <laughs> yeah, that's what I figured. We're going to have to call it Aaron is Right because first bit of news is da-da-da-da, and it came out uh, Monday. Disney World released their availability calendar for Galactic Star Cruiser, uh, a.k.a. Aaron Star Wars Prison for October through December of this year. And here's the catch. It's no longer going to be a daily offering. They are reducing the number of quote unquote voyages. Remember, it's a two night stay, that counts a voyage, to just two per week. Uh, this is coming from Blog Mickey, which is a Walt Disney World specific blog. The same. Back in December, they wrote about struggling sales for the Star Cruiser, and they were wondering about the long-term viability of the experience. Disney announced cast member discounts of around 50%, but no reduction in pricing for the public. And it seems like demand for the experience has nearly dried up. So remember, prices started at about just shy of $5,000 for that two-night stay in the most the basic of uh, uh, rooms. So while it, you know, they had an experience, you could go to any number of adventures, including go down to uh, Galaxy Sedge and whatnot. Uh, it really was a closed off, immersive experience that they were trying to have. But yeah, uh, aboard the Halcyon, it seems like the numbers are just not there in this economy to keep it going the way that they want. So yeah, starting in this fall, two times a week. That's all you can get. So two things. I'm not totally right until it becomes an attraction as part of Galaxy's Edge. Not totally vindicated yet. The other thing, as a tangent to what we're going to be talking about tonight, and sorry to jump into the Mandalorian real quick, but I turned to Brittany and said, I think we are seeing the inspiration for a new ride in Galaxy's Edge, and it's going to be called the Mines of Mandalore. That totally seemed like a theme park ride. That would be it, you know, like in Harry Potter Land, you know. Or so, I so I'm going I'm going to put a couple chips on that, you know, on on that one. Um, you never because they're going to need another ride in uh, Galaxy's Edge at some edge at some point. And the Mandalorian and Grogu are now characters that are there full time. So. Don't be surprised, kids. Well, uh, just before Dave uh, uh, adds on, I was going to say, because they just opened a Tron light cycle race at Disney. I want to say it's Disneyland. Yeah, in Magic, so King- Magic like- Kingdom. No, it's in Disney World in Magic Kingdom. Disney World, okay. So, but if imagine if you design a ride similar in nature where you're kind of prone position and you're, quote unquote, flying through Mandalore, the ruins of Mandalore, and you're having to also, you know, add in a shooting element similar in nature to uh, the Millennium Falcon ride, where you have to defend yourself from all the alien creatures that assault you in the Mines of Mandalore. Yeah. So you're combining both the ride element as well as an, uh, an action element. You could do that, and yeah, you're right. It it would sell itself. I think there's a there's a sunken cost in into this experience that sort of necessitates it being expensive um, in terms of all the actors and the play acting. You know, they have the whole scenario that you have to go through, and I, you know, they all the building that went into this. Um, so, I, am I like? do I want it to be more accessible to wider swath of people? Yeah, that'd, that'd be great. But I also understand why it wouldn't be. Um, and, and this seems like the most logical thing they could do. Um, lower the overhead, uh, you know, have fewer windows so that you're not sinking so much money into staffing and running this charade uh you know every day of the week when you know not the numbers that you need or are partaking so this doesn't surprise me at all well you know the thing that that of course disney had you know a college program for so long and i mean 
you know, musicians and actors, that was their summer gig. You know, I, I actually had a um, former student who was in the, um, the Main Street marching band. And I, like her, her gig each day was to went and rehearsed for like 40 minutes. Then you went and performed for, you know, 40 minutes. And then you took a break and then you rehearsed for a couple. Of, it's just, that's just the way it went. Um, so, I mean there's there there's part of me that says they could do that with not using the the full-blown you know union actors that they're using now but i mean you would have to make sure that it's not like you know flaky college kids but you know the ones who are going to you know because if you're charging that much money, then it better no. dang well be good, you know, and there, there better not be any, you know, break of character or, you know, fumble no. or something like that. You got to, you know, got to have your A game. So, yeah, no, I, I would really wouldn't expect them to do anything like that. And like, it's just like the whole point of it is the immersion, right? So it's like, they have to ensure that that's the case. And, um, I still think it's going to be just... repurposed into something else. It's not going to last. And I think the, the difficulty is they launched it at arguably the worst time possible. Right. Coming out of the pandemic into a, into a recession. People are being quite choosy about their budgets and their disposable income. You know, all, all appearances of the country, people are actually, you know, having to make hard choices as to how they spend their money. And going to Disney is an expensive proposition. So the idea that you're going to spend, I mean, $5,000 just on the jump for a two-day experience that sequesters you versus taking that money and spreading it out, you know, because I even saw, like you see videos all the time, people at Disney World and just going to Epcot, going to Hollywood Studios, going to Magic Kingdom. It's like, if you tell me that for a week versus two days that, got like the star cruiser i'm sorry yeah yeah and that's if i have that money which and i just don't i'm i'm the same and we've been down this road a bunch so we'll we'll mm -hmm. move on here quickly but I'm, I'm the exact same i'm i'm one of the biggest star wars fans anybody's ever going to run into but if i'm going to disney world and i don't want to only do star wars right i don't we all we have all there's so much there to do that you that appeals you know and it's not just star wars it's I mean, like it's like it's like going to to a buffet and only eating one thing but anyway like i said yeah. we've been down this road a gazillion times so um aaron is not 100 percent right until it becomes repurposed into some attraction in galaxy's edge but he's mostly right um but uh talk to me about star wars movies are we going to get a star wars movie soon well, here's what's interesting. So today, actually, uh, let me start off with that's, today's That's probably exactly story. how Bob Geiger answered. Oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. So Bob Iger was speaking to today's Morgan Stanley's Technology, Media, and Telecom Conference. So, you know, there was all the happening, happening people there. Uh, but he was discussing the Disney brands. The hip of the and, hip, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All the cool cats. So uh, they're asking, you know, he's discussing about various Disney brands. And when they get to the topic of Star Wars, this is his quote. He says, as far as Star Wars, Iger said, disappointing box office returns in 2018 for Solo, which is interesting. He's going back to 2018 and that Solo. One of two standalone films integrated among the three sagas gave us pause in terms of the feature pipeline. Executives determined that maybe the cadence was a little too aggressive, according to Iger. This is still developing Star Wars films, we're going to make sure when we make one, it's the right one. So we're being very careful there. But are now, they are they really are they really developing anything? Well, here's the catch: Variety had an article that came out on Monday saying that basically both Patty Jenkins's Rogue Squadron and the Kevin Feige Star Wars movie have been shelved, and it's an exclusive for them. So I'll just kind of go into the article. You know, they got to get into the whole idea of how. Mandalorian was the little thing and Rise of Skywalker coming a month later is going to be the big thing, but now it's upside down. 
So yeah, so according to Variety, they're saying, uh, Variety has learned that a possible Star Wars feature produced by Marvel Studios chief Kevin Feige is no longer an active development at, at Lucasfilm. In December, meanwhile, Jenkins said in a statement she was still developing Rose Squadron, but I don't know if it will happen or not. So, I mean, obviously they get into the realities of Patty Jenkins has been working a lot of stuff. Kevin Feige is obviously focusing all attention on Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase 5. They discuss Ryan Johnson and the fact that he's busy with his Benoit Blanc movies. He's producing Poker Face, the Peacock series with Natasha Leone, which is getting all kinds of rave reviews. So they discuss how there's supposed to be a slot in December 2025 for a new Star Wars movie. And they suggest that maybe that's going to be Taika Waititi's movie and that he's planning on hopefully putting himself as an actor into the movie, uh, much away the same way he did for Thor with the character of Korg and the way he played uh, Adolf Hitler in the or the imaginary Hitler in Jojo Rabbit. Same idea, kind of put it himself in. He's done that in all his projects. But yeah, so far, basically, the expectation is that they're going to let Disney Plus kind of run with the ball. And much like Iger said, they're going to be choosy and cautious as to when the next movie comes out because that one-two punch of Solo and Rise of Skywalker really cool Disney as to just putting out a Star Wars movie every year. So, uh, interestingly, we did a poll on this this week. Just I wanted to see what people's, just the general public's uh, opinion on this was. We didn't get a lot of votes. Okay, so, you know um grain of salt but overwhelmingly people were most interested in watching the patty jenkins movie um so like that feels like when i read this article that felt like the biggest loss to me uh in all of this um if that comes to pass that it doesn't happen um and i guess a lot of people agree with that it's just like this sounded like kind of an it's, it's a big name director um with bona fides and uh an interesting concept and so i could see why people were gung-ho about it and excited and now it sounds like it's not happening um but it is kind of weird to think about the taika thing still being like a, a full go and and like he's putting himself in it and i'm like well okay that could go a few different ways you know that that could go really well or really poorly um and so yeah i you know like i'm not feeling super great about this um and i think like that was my takeaway in general like this is just eh, this is not this is not great news the thing that the thing i keep coming i just i just want them to just i don't know get their crap together because it's like when when Disney bought Lucasfilm, then it was like, we're making a trilogy, and it was not long after that it's like, J.J. Abrams is gonna is gonna write and you know direct it, and here's your title, and there's your movie, and then you know we're doing a trilogy, so we're we're and so it was like they had obviously a plan, and until they got to the Rise of Skywalker, but eh, but anyway. It, it, it now it just seems like i don't know it uh, it uh, it's like they have their bi-monthly meeting on what should we do about star wars movies and nobody has any great ideas and um and it, it's, it's almost like they can't walk and chew gum at the same time it's like disney plus is rolling and they're pumped about disney plus but they can't get their junk together on movies and i don't need a trilogy just make a good movie and solo was a good movie it was six months after another good movie and people were confused i think that's totally what was going on with that but and again another road we've been down a bazillion times but just just make a movie i rewatched solo this week it's good we yes. all we all we all like yeah. it i i rewatched it this week with the kids where we couldn't decide what movie to watch and we're like we'll watch solo everybody likes it we all like it so that was the one movie we could agree on yeah i think in, in some ways i wonder if there wouldn't be a pre- bigger pressure 
on Disney to get a movie out if Disney Plus and the shows there didn't exist. And I think that's, it's almost like having the success of The Mandalorian, of Andor, of Yorka Boa Fett, Bad Batch, you know, having all that Star Wars content there and rolling and connecting with the with the fan base and the audience is allowing them to not have to worry about it. Like, look, look, we got other things to worry about. Star Wars is fine. But then you start getting further and further away from 2019. And more than likely, we're not going to get a Star Wars movie this year. Certainly. It'll be a miracle if we get one next year. So then you're now looking at five years gone without a Star Wars movie when you were getting one for a five-year period every year. And I think there is something to Iger's point about with that they set themselves up too massive of a schedule because you're not going to put out a Star Wars movie every year. That's just unrealistic. Well, why don't why you're going to burn through that people out? And I, I would agree with that. So why why can't you have somebody who's in charge of you know the Disney Plus Star Wars TV stuff, somebody who's in charge of the Star Wars movie franchise, and then you have your illustrious story group being the entity in the middle that's making sure that things coalesce. Maybe that's what's happening. I don't know, but it doesn't seem like it. So anyway, we, I mean, again, I, we can beat this dead horse, but it's just, they, it does not seem like a company that I would invest a lot of money into, you know, in the long term. I would say just right quick, I do agree with that idea that maybe you do need to do, say like have Kathleen Kennedy overseeing Lucasfilms, but then have, Okay, John Favreau, you're in charge of our Disney Plus uh, production line, and then have somebody on that equal level say, "You're in charge of our movie production line." And then and have, Dave, then have Dave Filoni in the middle, who's the who's just Star going Wars back and guru. forth. Yeah, right. Him and the and the writer and the, the the group can just go back and forth, sorting out issues, timelines, storyline, etc. But just have that idea. Have somebody who can just simply go and say, Kathleen. You're overseeing things, and then somebody below whose job is okay. Taika, we've been sitting on this thing now for four years since it's been announced. Let's get the sucker on a roll. Let's get this done. Because these creative, no creative types, will always have a thousand things going, cooking at the same time. Yeah. And if you're waiting for them to just finally go, yeah, I guess I got time to knock this out now. You could be there forever. And by the yeah, way, well, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Dave. <laughs> I, I, I do think there's something to be said for just having somebody like not cracking the whip. I, I, you know, like just like, hey, you know, you signed a deal with us. You're going to develop this thing. I know you got this other project. That's great. Or we're going you to need to prioritize you. this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, you need to prioritize this. You know, get the lawyers involved, whatever you got to do. But it's just like, it does feel like. They're they're kind of playing nice, and it's like okay, yeah, we want to do this thing with you, but oh, but this other project's happening first. And... But think about how Lucasfilm was born. I mean, it was one person, mm-hmm. and it was meant to be. You know, you want to go back to American Zoetrope? It was about this kind of, and pardon the expression, but this hippie, you know, yeah. mentality of filmmaking. So you're not you know bogged down by the corporate you know big film studios well lucasfilm is a is a big film studio now and disney is one of the biggest so it's like you know you are what you are now but i think there's still some of that it's kind of like you know google ran it runs into criticism when they try to behave like a startup when you're not a startup you know you're one of the biggest conglomerates of on the planet so it's like you have to act like a corporation um but anyway, um, by the way, Dave, on your poll of which of those movies that you'd rather, I, none of them actually sounded like yippee to me. <laughs> I mean, I will. There will be a Star Wars movie, and I will go see it. But I was not over the moon about Rogue Squadron. I'm not, you know, I'm leery of Taika Waititi. I, you know, it's yeah. So yeah, I, I voted lawn. for Rogue Squadron. Yeah, I voted for Rogue Squadron only because of deep, deep love for that video game, that N64 Rogue Squadron video game. But I will tell you this, the stuff that's on Disney Plus has me satisfied as a Star Wars fan. So let's talk about uh, Mandalorian uh, Season 3, Episode 2, The Minds of Mandalore. Um, We start off, lo and behold, on Tatooine. And if you watch Screen Crush, uh, if 
you watch Screen Crush, they're, you know, Easter eggs and stuff that you miss. They're the funniest video. They're just awesome because the guy's like, go back, he's just rolling his eyes. We go back to Tatooine. And it's like, oh my gosh, I had the diff- the exact opposite reaction. I was like clapping like a baby seal. I'm like, oh my God, it's Tatooine. So Yay. it is funny how that planet is like, you know, when Luke says you're on the planet, if there's a bright center to the universe, you're on the planet that is farthest from. And Tatooine is at the center of the Star Wars universe. Um, but anyway, we start on Tatooine. We've got um Pelly in a really long negotiation with a Rodian. this i was actually wondering oh my goodness is this how this is this where we're gonna go um but um it was fun and then mando lands and he needs a droid part and so in come the jawas um and there's no droid part to be had but he's given r5d4 and it's the first time that r5d4 is actually referred to by name other than on the action figure did you guys notice that oh so i mean i think i think everybody recognizes r5 from his brilliant cameo in a new hope but that's it um so anyway so she says yeah because he needs a droid to make sure that and this this is this, this is a plot point that makes me go really you need a, a droid to figure out if the atmosphere is breathable and it's like you don't have sensors like there's there's not like a palm pilot or something that you can you know well he ultimately didn't need the droid but yeah so anyway, but, i mean ultimately he didn't need the droid so it's like it, it yeah it didn't really need it but it, there is something kind of fun about uh him having a bad motivator Per se, and he's chicken. He was he's chicken. He's not like able or he's willing like, nah, to do I don't anything. Wanna. Um, <laughs> but what's even uh, uh, so another little Easter egg that's thrown into there is that he lands on Boonta Eve, the the mm-hmm. holiday that uh, you know um, uh, Anakin r- did his uh, pod race in Phantom Menace, and uh, there's fireworks and stuff over most likely. So that was kind of a nice little nod to the prequel trilogy fredo you're gonna say something no i was just gonna say it's funny because you know we've we've experienced r2 who's arguably the most courageous of all the droids you've met in the entire saga and meanwhile you know lucas with r5 is 100 percent the opposite and the only other thing i could think of why he needed r5 or he needed a droid was because it was specifically to get into the under parts of the ruins of Mandalore. No, he's, he, he says take, he needs he needs a must, droid to see if the atmosphere is breathable. And then he sends him inside or below, and that's where stuff happens. But yeah, I mean, of course, I guess he yeah. forgot. He could, so because well, uh, he might have been he a little coy. Yeah, yeah. Like I, 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 I need somebody to quote unquote check the atmosphere as I send you into this tunnel of doom where so, there's every creature that it will try to destroy you so we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that so um yeah. uh, so he makes he and grogu and r5d4 make their way to mandalore and we get more of the narration that we talked about last week and i was thinking about you dave the whole time because i was like it, it's really handy that they've got grogu there so they can give a lot of exposition because he's training grogu to be a mandalorian just as Luke was training Grogu to be a Jedi, he's like, a Mandalorian needs to know how to navigate the blah, blah, blah. And this is the planet that Bo-Katan was on. Remember when we went to visit her? And, you know, here is Mandalore and it used to be. So he's he's telling stories just like you would to your kids when you're driving into Kansas, you know, and telling them about the good old days. That's what he's doing. But it helps as a story you know, yeah. moves the story along. Tells us what's going on, but then also it gives them the storytelling flexibility to later uh, have a uh, essentially an infant and a scaredy cat droid fly the ship themselves off to get help. Um, like, how do you explain that away? It's like, oh, well, he's already been laying the groundwork for that. And also, I, I was just thinking, funnily enough, as I was seeing that scene, all I kept thinking was of Game of Thrones and how by the latter eight stages of that of that show's run, 
character switches in a single episode, hopscotching across continents to make appearances. And you're like, wait a minute, you you know, when once the show establishes a certain pattern for how travel occurs, so I like the fact that in this one he's saying, you know, Dan showed the Grogu, okay, I was from, by the way, did we know that Dan was from Concordia? Because I don't think that's been said. But then he also pointed where uh, Bo- uh, Bo-Katan was saying that, that was, oh, we were just there, that's where it's at. So kind of putting it in his mind and ours, that's not that far away of a journey. So uh, R5-D4 goes to check things out and disappears. And so Din pressurizes his helmet and goes to goes after the droid. And he goes in and he's uh, attacked by Morlocks. Um, that's I can't remember what they're called, but they look like Morlocks from the yeah. uh, from the you know time traveler movie. I what I sorry um, the time machine time machine yeah there we go. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, um, and what do we all think of Mandalore? I mean, like again, the, so, Mandalore in real life. So you know, first of all, okay, first of all, I found myself confused for a hot minute because I was like, wait a minute. In Rebels, when Sabine was there, it was like this, that, and I was like, "Oh yeah, we're not, <laughs> we're not in the pre-original trilogy time. We're in the post." So, um, I mean, when if you remember Rebels and seeing what Mandalore looked like then, it was barren. Now it's mm-hmm. barren and destroyed. Glass. So, yeah. I mean. Hello. By the way, the uh, creatures' names are Alamites. Uh, they're Morlocks, whatever. Um, <laughs> Basically, no. um, but I don't. I mean, it was it was it was fine. It, it seemed to jive with everything. The only part of Mandalore that I can't wrap my head around is the fact that it was green and lush, and you know, sounds like Endor-like. But um, anyway. But also, I, I know I kept I kept trying to equate it to the uh, the fall of Mandalore arc that we saw at the end of Clone Wars, where you saw the uh, it might have been the same city. I don't know. It might have been Sanseri. It might have been the same city where um, Maul was hiding under. I have to go back and check. But um, just seeing all these giant cities, domes with hundreds of thousands of people living there, and you come back and it's all like Polish and... oh, Yeah, yeah. Like biodome, but it's not just—it's not just that it's just destroyed. It's almost like it's like it's been melted, like like the I mean, destruction it's, there is—it's horrible. It's, it's a ghost—it's a ghost town. I mean, yeah. obviously. So, like, as my brain is racing through all this, you know, we're trying to pick out details and everything, but I'm I'm, I'm struck by the contrast with Navarro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that's a bit of maybe a hint about where we're going to eventually go. Um, and that the part of the story that we're going to tell is the rebirth um, of Mandalore, the, the rebirth the of Mandalore and, the, and these characters, you know, making that happen. And we're seeing, you know, a smaller version of that at play at navarro right now including potential you know pratfalls and mistakes that might occur along the way you know it might be informative our characters i don't know but um that, that is sort of where my mind went well you know to. you might be totally you might be 100 percent correct because you know the the big plot point here and so i'm i'm, I'm kind of scrubbing through the episode right now on my ipad and uh, so Din realizes that okay, the atmosphere is breathable, and so Grogu joins him, you know, to head down to the mines. Um, but he he makes the point to say, Bo-Katan was right. The planet isn't cursed, and if Mandalorians are staying away from Mandalore because they think it's cursed, and if they figure out that oh, okay, it's safe there then why not rebuild your your home but that's a i mean so that's a that's a good point that's a good point of speculation which 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 actually made me think that you know i, I know i doing the job that i do i always think about systems and power and how a lot of times when stuff gets broken or stays broken it's a, somebody's benefiting from it 
So it made me think, okay, how likely is it that Din is the only Mandalorian who knows that Mandalore is habitable? Let's put it that way, habitable. Well, and he's he's going to have the dark saber to back it up too. Um, but it's also but it's also a question of it makes me wonder: Does the armor know? And if she doesn't, well, that's one thing. But if she does, could it be? I mean, because that's the other thing: it's the Mandalorians are scattered. You yeah. know, bringing them together is going to and and uh, Bo-Katan told us in the last episode they're just being too busy fighting one another, you know, tearing one another like in, like they've always done. So Din can give them a purpose, but it's almost like maybe that's not in the, everybody's best interest. So, so far we've had Morlocks attack us and then we, we get down and we start exploring the mines a little bit more. And then we have uh, lizard creatures. And then all of a sudden this weird robot crab <laughs> it's like it's it's like hermit crab it, right or or it's like or it's like you know uh john peters you know saying you know spider is the most you know lethal <laughs> you know animal and but anyway um so we get this robot hermit crab that like kidnaps din and it was like it was weird because even brit said mm-hmm. says is this like are we seeing the rebirth of general grievous and i was like well I don't know, maybe because it because there was something organic in that thing. And uh Grogu, I love the fact that he's like, I'm gonna go save dad. You know what I mean? He he's mm-hmm. hopping out of his his you know his bassinet and he's gonna go try to take care of things and, and uh Din says and he's he's using the force and everything like that, so that's cool. Um, and Din says, go find Bo-Katan. And Grogu starts making his way back up. Um, sorry, if we need to talk about the hermit crab, we can. But he starts making his way back up. And he hops in the the starfighter and flies to Bo-Katan's planet. Um, what do you well, think about this whole thing of Grogu being a, an honest-to-goodness co-pilot? It, it, it was funny to make it the comparison, but it was actually accurate this week that Pedro Pascal was in two episodes this week of two major shows, both of which his adopted surrogate child came to the rescue for him. Because <laughs> the same thing happened, something similar happened in The Last of Us. But again, it was, uh, it was sly also that it's like, well, we're going to give mm-hmm. you R5-D4 because we're going to need him to fly the starship here in a little bit. Right, right. So anyway. Right. They, had to give, they had to give him somebody who could actually do the actual programming of flying because Grogu doesn't yet know how to do that. It, it was really neat. I, I think it's a nice flipping and subversion. Also, it puts Grogu in danger because he's got, you know, daddy's locked up back there, you know, you know, knocked out and, you know, without any weapons. So it puts you in a spot where Grogu's at risk and that's always going to create tension in this show. If Grogu's at risk, audience is going to panic. I you know it was it was an odd about face for the character for her to just like immediately be like you know a week ago or even like the first part of the episode was like oh he's back I'm gonna tell him what's what and then like yeah. oh we gotta go rescue him you it's, know and, the, it's like, and that was another thing Britt said it's like it's a good thing that grogu is so cute nobody can say no to him because you know hear what <laughs> bokatan was ready to throw down and womp you know some that explains it yeah no, you're ace right. and then it was like oh we've uh, okay we've got to go help him you know because the cute little yoda thing says to um cute kid, cute kid, cute kids and puppies get their way this is now so now here's where i think this the story gets awesome because bokatan first of all loads Grogu and R5-D4 into um, her Mandalorian Starfighter, which we've only ever seen animated. And and I mean, yes, it's CG here, but good Lord, did that look good as a, as a Star Wars ship. Um, but anyway, a lot more exposition now is coming out with her talking to Grogu. Mm-hmm. She's talking about how I used to know a lot of Jedi. We used to be friends. We fought alongside one another, you know, and did you think your dad was the only Mandalorian? And do you use the force really well? She's interacting with, with Grogu. Um, But then I think what, I mean, 
this is one of those things where they have nailed it. You always worry about going from animated to live action and to see Bo-Katan fighting in live action was just a cool thing. And so kids, if you haven't watched any of the Clone Wars or Rebels, do so. And I was, it, it, cause this is one of the cool things. It's the same actor and the character is drawn in the animated series to look like that actor. And it, I mean, so I don't know. what do you guys think of this whole Grogu, um, Bo-Katan side adventure here? I mean, like you, you, the things you pointed out were, uh, really appreciated again like she's going to offer more backstory and um understanding of the larger culture and and the plot elements that like brought us here uh than din would ever be able to offer and so like the more screen time she gets the more we get uh that backstory filled in which i think like coming into season three was kind of what most of us were hoping for um it it promised to be more about Mandalore and Mandalorians and telling their story in a larger sense than just the, the sort of micro focus that Din offers. And so, um, yes, I, I was a little worried at the end of episode one where she's like, just get out of here. I'm done. Um, she's right back in it here. And I think that's for the betterment of the show. What's well, uh, also, interesting is that she was very dismissive of um so i mean they find din and they rescue him and all this stuff and she revives and she's she's been very dismissive of his beliefs but at the same time supportive it's like all right i think you're full of crap but if you need to go see these waters then i'll take you because you're not going to find him otherwise so i don't know what it's not clear what has flipped her unless unless we're right now thinking oh yay Bo-Katan but it might be using him to her advantage you know to her advantage that you know suckering him Mm -hmm. so he you know she can get to the dark saber and because I still think they're going to be somewhat adversarial through this we're only in episode two but um it was just really odd that it's like, like I said, I think you're full of crap, but I'm going to help you. Well, well, what I find interesting is because at the end of the first, she's very much dismissive in episode one and her attitude upon seeing the end one starfighter flying close by is, the heck is he doing here? Okay, I'm going to have to get nasty now to get him gone. She doesn't seem to want to do anything. So it would be a tremendous about face if she's now okay, I help you out in some way, I get the dark saber, and I'm back into it. It'd be very quick. Does that necessarily mean she can't? No. It's just, it'd be, it'd be it, like if the, you would have needed another episode in the middle to kind of show that she's having second thoughts about that whole, I don't want to deal with the, these crazy Mandalorians anymore. I think, but, uh, I think I, we're getting, I think we're getting a clue, however, if you notice how Grogu responds to her. Mm-hmm. He responds with a grunt, like a. <laughs> it's kind of an aggressive grunt. It happens a couple times. If you go back and watch, I, I picked up on it right away. Usually, you know, he has that little goo goo gaga type sound, but then she'll ask him a question or say something. He'll go, <laughs> like kind of like a dog, like I don't trust you. Well, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I I, I just to kind of finish up on the first question, the first part. Number one, yes, awesome that they have Katie Sackhoff. She's a tremendous actor, and having her having her in this uh, version of this character is tremendous because she's one of the few characters who can actually fill in all the backstory. I mean, to us, this is all oh, you just flip, you know, switch over to the other show and you get to watch all the all the stuff happen. Din, to Din Djarin, this is all new information. To Grogu, it's all new information. There are not many people who remember the before times, before the Empire times, who remember the Jedi, who remember all that stuff, who remember how Mandalore was. She's one of the few, and the fact that she's able to kind of... She's gotten jaded, obviously, by her experiences, not just fighting the Empire, losing Mandalore, losing her position of power, 
the fact that her people got scattered and none of them seemed to want to follow her. So there's a lot of reason for her to feel as jaded as she comes off. But I also think that's part of what makes this journey that she agrees to help Din on so interesting is that as she's connecting him with all this lore and this history and this mythology of her homeworld and her people, it's almost like it's reawakening things in her in terms of, hey, this is what I was doing, what I was doing. Hey, this is why we fought so hard because this is worth preserving. This is our people. And it's gonna that that might be the way in which she eventually has to come to realize, no, I gotta be in charge to protect this legacy. It can't be Din. Din is not connected to this. I am. There there are two big clues for me in this episode that that tell me that she is a um um she's worthy for lack of a better term, um, of the, of the dark saber, um, uh, specifically during these action sequences, which we were all like, yeah, all right. Awesome. She's, um, she's wielding that thing. Oh yeah. You know, and, and like naturally, yeah. yeah, naturally it's responding to her. She's not fighting it. It's not fighting her. Um, not like then. Yeah. Uh, that to me, that's a clue might not it may not turn out that way but to me that's a potential clue uh the other thing is the big reveal at the end and her uh, we'll, coming face to face we'll, we'll get to that in a second uh, we'll get to that yeah. in a second um i do want to also say that there is and and by the way i'm not saying that bo katan is evil i'm not saying that she is right I, but i but i think she is acting in her own self-interest at this moment but there is but there is a moment between them that when she's telling about telling about her father and and it's din earns uh, she earns din's respect at that point because he stops and he looks at her he says this is the way because you know the way her father was about mandalore and everything like that so um, I, I, I think, I, like I said, it's a relationship that is building. Um, but right now, like I said, and that's why I think Grogu is grunting because it's like she's acting selfishly. And, and again, I don't mean that it's, it's understandable why she is. But, um, you know, so I think, again, I think this whole season is going to be about how to bring all the Mandalorians together. Fredo? But, yeah. No, I was going to say, and uh, I mean, I don't think you can say, I mean, she can be an antagonist without being a villain. Right. That's what I was saying in terms of her looking once again at how her role as a potential connection and leader for the Mandalorian shifts now to this episode. It could very well be something where she's considering now, my people need me. They still need me. And I'm going to fight for them, even though they don't want me fighting for them. And that could create a conflict between her and Din. The other point that I kind of brought up is, you know, whose name do we not hear at all in her story? Satine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We did not hear about Duchess Satine. And I, I found that interesting. And I wonder if, I mean, obviously, I wonder if they're saving that for another moment. I also wonder if it's because Satine was very much the peacemaker, the person looking for a different way the than the Mandalorian yeah. way. Whereas her dad and her were very much, nope, nope, we are warriors, we are bad. We will fight, so... That may be why it didn't get brought up. Uh, yeah, and it, like again, like, the antagonism might not even be the right word because again, like it's just like two people that don't hold with the same ideas or values, right? And just having to find a way to navigate that and come to a productive place still at the end of the day. And I, like, I understand like the way that she threw herself into helping him. Um, repeatedly over the course of this show um yeah like aaron there might be a little self-interest in that but that she didn't have to jump into that water so, after okay. him. yeah so they find they find the living waters mm-hmm. and i don't know how he's going to prove that he was in the living waters i don't know if grogu was taking pictures or what but anyway um <laughs> so first of all i have a question which one of you wrote the notes in our that was Fredo. That was Fredo. Okay. Um, so that was the weird thing. It took me totally by surprise because he starts, you know, wading in the water 
Um, and by the way, again, I, I made mention of Screen Crush, uh, and they have a great take on this. It's like this season of The Mandalorian so far is very biblical in nature. Um, there's a lot of stuff about baptism and about redemption and about, you know, um, you know, just, you know, anyway. Um, so he's, he's going, he goes wading in the water and then all of a sudden he's just, just gone. It's like, and I, I said out loud, it's like, how many pitfalls are we going to hit in one episode? Yeah. And he goes down quick and I didn't re- realize because and Brit said, what pulled him in? And I didn't realize that he was pulled in because then as Bo-Katan, first of all, and this is, yeah, she was helping. She could have just let him drown at that point, but, yeah. but he also has the dark saber. So she needed to go after, him, I'm just saying, but anyway, so she I goes, thought he, I thought he put it down. So she goes, she goes, I thought dive. she had it maybe at that point. I don't know. Anyway, but. she goes, I'm, I'm just trying to, you know, ruffle feathers. <laughs> she goes diving down after him. And that's when, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we come face to face with as fredo put in our notes the mfing mythosaur um <laughs> i was not expecting that at all what what was your guys's take on that it was like holy cra-. and brit says is that the thing that's on your mug i was like yeah the, the thing you know the boba fett symbol um so what'd you guys think about coming face to face with the mythosaur and what's that mean for this who who really needed to see that creature i think is is what's instructive about that scene and i think like she's like yeah you believe in all this junk you know all these all these legends people people say a skeptic is only somebody who has not had their own paranormal experience and uh and then it's her face to yes by the way yet yeah and and she also they I don't know if there. I mean, I don't want to read too much into it, but she stared that thing face to face. That thing didn't like make a play on her. Um, is there a connection there? Is there some kind of destiny at play with like her needing to, you know, assume these roles that that um, she seems a little mixed on? So I, I um, there's a lot that could be read into this, and I think like that's what I really liked about this episode in general is sort of like the myth potential of it. And then she world was talking building. about fairy tales and, you know, stories and all myths. this stuff, yeah. all this stuff that we saw that we've never seen before and other things that we've seen that seem to connect to other things. And it's like, this is what like star Wars is so much fun when it does this. Cause you're just like, okay, great. I'm going to, you know, rub my hands together. I'm going to be like, well, well, what and, does it mean? What is it? What does that mean? You know? And, and, and like I said, you know, this being very biblical, I mean, it's the, it's, you know, it's the story of faith, you know, it's, mm-hmm. um, you know, if you think about, you know, post, you know, well at the time at post resurrection, you know, and you have the apostles all saying that, you know, the Jesus is risen and there's one Thomas who is saying until I can put, you know, until I see it for myself, I ain't believing it. That's the whole lesson of faith that, you know, the church gives you. And so that's, what's going on here. Din has faith. Whereas Bo-Katan is jaded and wants proof, you know, it's like, you know, and so, and she gets it by seeing the mythosaur. And what I found interesting is that she read the little plaque on the side of the living waters telling the tale of the mythosaur and Mandalore and taming the mythosaur and writing it and thus gaining proof of, of his position as leader for the Mandalorian tribes. And it's interesting that they put that little moment before she literally sees her the legend the legend face to face. It's almost like they're setting her up because we're thinking, okay, she's giving background information to Din and she's kind of telling Din, okay, this is why it's so important, whatever. But in almost historical sense, it's almost like they're reminding her of the legend for so that a minute later when she's staring the mythos or face to face, she goes, oh, crud. <laughs> maybe there was something to that thing I just read, one. And two, maybe this is, quote unquote, you know, maybe this is the way, pardon the pun, 
to get the position that I want. Oh, it's, it's not necessarily holding the dark saber. It's doing what the original Mandalore did. We're also the thing that's been striking me. And by the way, kids, I think we're going to have to save Bad Batch for uh, another <laughs> time because Dave's alarm's gone off. It's been a day, and we this is a great episode to talk about. The thing that I've been struck by um, in these first two episodes again, how is you have on one end of the spectrum the Jedi, and one end of the spe- the other end of the spectrum the Mandalorians. That's the way it has always been. It's one is the sacred and one is the secular. And they are, um, and I've just, like I said, it's just been struck by this. It's like in The Force Awakens when um, when Ray says, I thought, you know, Luke Skywalker, I thought he was a myth. And then you have Han Solo, the patron saint of secularism in Star Wars saying, no, it's all true. I mean, we're seeing it's the same type of thing now, but on on the Mandalorian side, you know, there is a, there are, you know, what is true about the Mandalorian history and what does it mean to be a Mandalorian? What does it mean to be a Jedi? You know? And, um, so that's what I think that there it's, it's just so interesting. They're telling the exact same story, but like I said, from the Mandalorian secular standpoint, there's always this rhyming that goes on in Star Wars, yeah, it's right? It's like poetry. They kind of rhyme. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and they tell the same stories, but they tell them a little bit differently. And they throw this little sort of different take on things. And it, 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 it becomes enjoyable on that level because you get to see these patterns unfold. And you, you're kind of one up on the characters at times. And other times you're being misled intentionally. And you're really not one up on the characters. Um but it's one of the things about Star Wars that's so so nice. Um, I will throw a random curveball in because if we're going to talk about the legend building, um, the biggest um, takeaway that we've had so far about the armorer is disciple potentially of Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. And we have not seen much in the way of indication uh, to toward that end, other than, you know, the religious fanaticism, the horns on the helmet, mm-hmm. but nothing that really sort of directly ties those things together. Um, I got like from the hermit crab, I got like the witches, the sisters vibes from that thing, man. And bit. I don't know. I don't know what it was about that thing, but like, I'm thinking Dathomir and you know, like I'm like, all right, we're, we're dealing almost in magic right now because this creature is like sort of like elusive, like you can't kill it. And, um, you know, it, it's just like, and the eye, you know, the seeing eye, you know, the uh, Sauron thing. It, it, uh, to me, it, it, like I said, to me, it, it, I agree with Britt. It, it reminded me of, of general grievous right off the bat. Mm. Um, so I got a little bit of that vibe from that. And we know that Maul had an intense in, interest in Mandalore. And and I wouldn't be surprised if we if we didn't see a little bit more of that sort of if if we if we venture more into spirituality, Dathomir coming back bigger and better. So let me ask you this. Um a la Book of Boba Fett and Boba Fett riding a Rancor, are we going to see Bo-Katan come a-riding into town, a-womping and a-whooping, riding a Mythosaur, wielding the Darksaber? That could be rhetorical. I just think I... But, it, so anyway, that was... It's just... You, you don't, you don't well set be. it... I mean, you can't set up the possibility without at least setting up the presence of the Mythosaur, and that's why I think... It's so exciting to have seen it because it creates all sorts of possibilities. I mean, and for a show titled The Mandalorian, where we follow a character that everybody calls The Mandalorian, the natural inclinations to think that it's Din who's going to end up doing all the heroic stuff, all the hero appointed stuff. He's going to be King Arthur riding on a, you know, riding, having the magic sword riding into town. But it could very well, that all could be a misdirection. It could very well be that it's Bo riding the Mythosaur. Darksaber in hand, and 
that creates a whole new set of conflicts because we know from the way the armor spoke about Bo-Katan, she's not a fan. So again, there's all these possibilities, but those, those possibilities lead to further conflict well, you know, the because other, that's part of the nature of the Mandalorians. And the, the thing about that, you know, she's not a fan of, of Bo-Katan. Um, let's remember that Bo-Katan was Death Watch, which was, you know, followers of Maul, and then she broke off from that. So if the armorer was a follower of Maul and Bo-Katan helped hose him over, basically, so that could be the conflict. But I, I, I think that will play out. We'll find out, um, you know, I, um, but man, we're off and running. This was not a filler episode. Nope. And next week, I guarantee you, it's going to be, what are we watching? It's going to be, <laughs> probably going to be the filler episode after we've Oh, seen yeah, them. Frog Lady next right, week. Right, we're getting Frog Lady next She's week. Yes. She's back. Yes. Uh, but everybody should watch Bad Batch. We didn't have time to talk about it, but watch it. If you if you checked out, you were like, uh, it's too slow or whatever, I don't like it, watch it this this week. Yeah, the last... So the last, couple, the last couple of arcs have been really, really good at driving towards story elements that I know have been hinted at but not discussed. Bad and Batch, this one really, it really took a turn and kind of got us in the next direction. And Bad Batch and Andor have both done the same thing, that they are making the Empire look like awful bad guys. They're doing a good job at that. Again, it's, I mean, that so... Um, and uh yeah i mean crosshair has you know come to uh, he's he's made a he's made a turn made a decision so that was that was really cool um such a good episode really dark but really good episode i can't wait to see where that whole thing is going um so anyway yeah check it out and also start watching the we'll we'll have to try to get some some notes out to the to the you know 10 or 15 people who listen to us about <laughs> what clone wars and and star wars rebels episodes they need to watch that have the mandalorian stuff um but i've started watching those episodes just as you know like before i go to bed or whatever grab my ipad and i'll watch a little bit um so it really does make this season even better so um yeah Fred, that's all gonna go on the patreon right um so um we're coming up new orleans is off and run guys we got what a festival like every weekend so from here until like the foreseeable future so um enjoy we got next week is saint patrick's day um so a little shameless plug i'm playing on uh saint patrick's day eve and so on the 16th and the 18th at the carry so if you don't want to be in the heat of St. Patrick's Day celebrations, want to be on the safer elements on either side, come out and check me out. Um, but, uh, yeah, so other than that, oh, and the Saints have a quarterback. So real Yay! quick, um, how do we feel about Derek I got to head out. Okay, well, we'll talk about Derek Carr next week. Everybody say who dat? Who dat? Who dat? Have a great week, everybody. My